One of the best ways to support the FTF podcast is to check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash finish the fight for exclusive episodes, insights, interviews, and plenty more. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Welcome back to Finish the Fight, a gaming podcast. I am your host, Alex Kendall. And I am your host, Derek Baker. And as the title says, why isn't every game just Baldur's Gate 3? That's kind of what we've been hearing in the news as of late. You know, we've had about a month, month and some change since the release of Baldur's Gate 3. And we're seeing kind of that storm hit, hit the, the proverbial game shelves of why isn't every game like this? Why can't everyone do this? And we're seeing complaints and praises on both sides of it. Yeah, it's. Um, I think it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. And obviously, the industry has shifted a lot in the last, I mean, even 10 years of what mm -hmm. the expectation for developers are, what the expectation of consumers supporting a product is. You know, there's a, a lot of different things to talk about. What's interesting about Baldur's Gate 3 is that, obviously, it's a fantastic game. A lot of people are playing it, loving it. I mean, what is it? The highest, what for Steam? Like, consecutive player base? Uh, yes, setting so the highest consecutive players. It's reached top marks on Metacritic, on IMDb, on, like, all of these others. It's reached some of the top marks almost reaching perfection. And for those of you who don't know, you've probably heard the title, but not sure what the game is. It is a role-playing game developed and published by Larian Studios, who in the past has done like Divinity Original Sin and Original Sin 2, which are these very much D&D style games. And now we're onto an actual Dungeons & Dragons title in Baldur's Gate 3. So it is using that Dungeons & Dragons property into that role-playing kind of turn-based, do-what-you-want kind of freedom game. And this was a game that was in development for a number of years. It was an early access for three plus years or so and hit the market. And what we're seeing is on both sides, you have a lot of consumers saying, hey, an actual finished published game from, an, from a <laughs> bigger independent studio that has hundreds of hours of content that is good to go day one versus some indie devs and some other devs for certain games coming out and saying, hey, this game is an anomaly. This should not be the standard for games going forward. That is just asking too much. And so I think that's where our discussion wants to go today because yes, it is a hefty game. Yes, it has an insane amount of content, beautiful content, nothing. And the biggest thing, no game breaking bugs day one, nothing that ruins your experience day one. And they keep putting out great updates for it. We're already at over 2.5 million copies sold as of middle of August, which is insane for a title like this that is a role-playing game a niche one at that and it is so cool to see the public's reaction so that's kind of where we're going to be talking about today and a variety of scheduling yeah absolutely and 
I feel like really the best place to start for this is that I don't believe the expectation from consumers is now that regardless of background, studio, whatever, that every game has to be as good as Baldur's Gate 3. I don't think that's the expectation. And I do think that I've seen some developers sort of take that and say, well, you are never going to get this again because this is a very special thing. And Mm -hmm. that's not what I think video game consumers are saying. What I think they're saying is people are tired of playing video games that come out and seem unfinished or have a lot of problems Mm -hmm. when by all measures they're charging the same amount of money, if not more for a service style game and they're getting released early um, setting a lofty expectation, I think, for the consumers to stay engaged with the game and not holding up their end in a lot of instances. And I think that's more of the expectation now. Gamers want a game like Baldur's Gate 3 in that not every RPG is going to have to have the amount of content that Baldur's Gate 3 has, sure. but it should have the level of love put into the development process if the expectation is going to be that we continue to spend the amount of money and play for the amount of hours that we do in these games. I think that's that's nail on the head with that for sure is, you know, this is a game from Larian Studios, an Irish studio that's been around for a little while that came out with, you know, the role playing games, as I'd said, of Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2, mimicking a lot of the style that is in Baldur's Gate in that kind of turn-based, in-combat, out-of-combat kind of free-flow game. And it is a niche style that's been around for a while. And again, I don't, like you said, I don't think people are being like, I want more Baldur's Gate. I want more hundreds of hours of content. All of this wrapped up. I don't want to ever, ever finish the game, and I want to pay 60 bucks. It's more of, I don't want to buy, you know, Diablo 4, which is a single-player game with some multiplayer aspects. And I have to buy the Battle Pass, buy the DLC, buy the weeklies, play the monthly, play the daily, play this, play that, play that. I just want to play the game and experience the story of Diablo. You know, Diablo 3 got a little bit of flack whenever it had kind of the marketplace and started added some microtransactions into, again, a single-player-focused, multiplayer-available game. And Diablo 4 is just the poster child for that. Really, Blizzard is the poster company for that of, you know, coming out with Overwatch 2, which is supposed to be, hey, we gave you the same game. We gave you one less player per team, but we're going to do PVE. That's really why we changed the name. And it's come out, everyone realizes, because their mantra was, we'll never charge for characters. We'll never charge for this. So what did they do? Came out with a new game with a new title that could get rid of those rules and put in Battle Pass, put in dailies, weeklies. And try to make this addictive landscape of you need to be so attached to our game that you're going to keep coming back and we'll suck the life out of you. We'll drain you of the money that you have to make sure we can keep growing. And that's the rebuttal that people are making. We don't want that. We just want a finished game that we can play. Absolutely. And, and to me, so the developer take of you can't have the expectation that every game is Baldur's Gate 3, I think, is really like an entitled take, ultimately, because it's 
other things don't follow the trend of, well, we don't have the resources that Baldur's Gate has in terms of the specializations that they had, the the information they had going into this game. You know, that long early access period, all the things that they did. Some developers are coming out and saying, well, we don't necessarily have those luxuries. We don't have an extremely specialized team. We don't have uh, Dungeons and Dragons IP backing. We don't have this ability to do this long early access period because there's expectations financially from, you know, the the supporters of these games. And it just comes off as a really entitled viewpoint, I think, because people don't need to give you the money for the game either. And we don't see the money mm-hmm. that they're asking for these games change based on those things. Oh, well, this game isn't finished. And we realize that there's going to be more to come. So we'll charge you only $30 for this game instead of the 60 And then as we add more, we'll ask that, you know, that gets made up. That doesn't happen. So, you know, you're telling us that, okay, we're not going to be able to make these games in this way where the content's all there day one, like you're asking because of the way the industry is set up. Well, the industry can't only favor the developers. Like, the consumer has expectations that need to be met too. And, you know, when games come out that do things the right way and people see that it is possible to be done, then yeah, their expectations change. Mm -hmm. And that's something that developers have to work around. They can't go and yell at their consumers and say, no, 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 you're doing this wrong. You're supposed to buy whatever we make because we're the ones that, you know, run the industry. We set the rules. And it's like, well, no, there's there's a supply and there's a demand, and you have to mm-hmm. work within that. And so it's just a really weird, weird pushback from people in that industry. And I think maybe it's a little bit based on fear of what their new expectations are going to be working with indus- industry. It's become so corporate, and it's become so financially heavy but that's the other thing it's not like we don't know that they're making money they're making insane amounts of money the Mm -hmm. fact that we don't talk about how much money the video gaming industry brings in for worldwide economics and we're talking about all these other industries like you know farming and and things like that and not also talking about like gdp growth within the entertainment industry and video games is crazy to me because it's so massive and it's been such an exploding industry for a long time now that doesn't seem like it's slowing down. But now we are seeing that effort start to change where because it's not exploding and the technology has gotten better and we're seeing smaller improvements instead of all these massive jumps, now it sort of feels like some studios have started taking us for granted and they just want to put out their IPs that they put out all the time. This is the new skin on the old game and they're going to pay us money for it. We're going to make a lot of money and that's what we have to do. And that just, I think it needs a reset. Yes. I I think that's exactly it. I I think we've had years and years now of kind of that corporate greed jumping into gaming to see like, what else can we push? 
you know, talking about reskins of talking about doing Madden every year, talking about doing these. And we, we've seen years in Madden where it's legitimately just a reskin. You see in the ads, it's showing the year before in the like Madden ads on the banners where it's like you literally just reskinned this. You did nothing to improve it. You maybe were like, ooh, now the QB is going to have a sight line that you have to pay attention to. And that's the one thing we've changed in this entire thing that's not yeah. even that fun if you want to play this casually. And, it, and then you start to get into more of the stuff. FIFA is the floater of EA, like doing the fantasy stuff in FIFA and the gotcha packs and all those things. We saw those. We start to see battle pass. We start to see pre-order bonuses that really aren't anything but like, hey, we designed an item for your character to wear level one that you're going to get rid of by level two, but you gave us money early. And I think we've reached the tipping point of like, now consumers are like, okay, we're, we're too far gone. I'm not paying $40 for a skin for a character or in League of Legends case, $200 for a skin for a character that is a cosmetic choice. There are people <laughs> who do pay it for sure. And there's whales in certain games. Like we, we just know that's, that's, that's a for sure thing. Sure. But we're reaching that tipping point. And people are fighting back by saying like, oh, games are just going to be like that. The same thing was said when Elden Ring came out. Oh, well, their menu options aren't that great. And like the combat looks kind of janky sometimes. So it's not a good game. It's like, no, it's a fantastic game. It's one of the best games of the decade that came out, allowing for so much exploration and no handholding and so much of it. And it's just such a great game that universally people love. But you had devs come out at that point. You have devs right now that are looking at Starfield being like, Mm, that start screen you have looks terrible. The game's going to be bad. And the Starfield, like actual devs are coming up like, what are you talking about? This is something we decided, we decided this months ago. That's our screen. <laughs> what we're doing is actually working on the game. This is what we enjoyed. This is what we like. We think it's going to be fine. And it's become this infighting of like defending your game or your employer or your job really to be like, no, it, it needs to be this way. The gaming industry needs to milk the people, needs to have these people be in there because how else are we going to make money? And it's like, make games. That's why indie studios are doing so well. And Japanese studios are doing so well. Nintendo is amazing with this, even if they come out with something like the Mario Parties, which in my opinion lacked a bit of content, but the content that was there was polished and done. Right. That's what Nintendo always does great. If you know, if you can criticize them for really leaning into the nostalgia, um, personally, that's one of the things that I like about them, but I can mm -hmm. understand where people don't. But they always come out with finished products, um, even if the hardware they, they isn't do. able to keep up with new standards, you know, and it's great. But let's argue then, because the top three selling franchises, I guess top two, My Minecraft's now up there, but you've got Pokemon and Mario. I mean, these are mm -hmm. the top two selling franchises overall. And yes, I will say the last Pokemon did have some things to argue about graphics-wise and glitch-wise. And it's one of their first games that really threaded that line of, of being the AAA curse. Yeah. But for the most part, everything else that's come out from that has been stupendous, fantastic. The, the, the two last Zeldas are, are, are god-tier games. Right. And looking at Sony, God of War. Last of Us, um, Horizon Zero Dawn, and the other Horizons. Like These are games that, again, you're going to have those like little hiccups here and there in some of those games, but for the most part, are and polished, finished, first-player games. Baldur's Gate 3 
has hiccups as well with like weird sure. stuff happening. You know, no one's expectation, I think, is give me perfection, but it's like there's a certain level of technical issues that I think that people can expect within a game. And when a game is like totally broken and promised a bunch of stuff that didn't end up coming to fruition or it took way mm-hmm. longer than was anticipated, like, yeah, that frustrates people. It upsets people. They don't want to wait for that stuff they don't want to have to buy a game in hopes that that stuff gets fixed you know this goes back to this is not a new thing going back to the first fable i mean how much Mm -hmm. was promised for the first fable that it didn't meet and that whole reputation has stayed with the Fable franchise since that very first game, where it was yeah. going to be this like really immersive, like Sims meets Fantasy World meets like Grand Theft Auto meets all these things that were being promised within the game, where it was basically going to be like Second Life in the Fantasy World. And then obviously it wasn't that. Well, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, when you are dealing with competitors in the same industry, you're promising them something that's going to revolutionize the industry and then you're going to not deliver on that. Well, yeah, you might still make a pretty solid game, but people are still going to be disappointed because of the expectations you set out for them. Now we've gotten to a point to where they're not trying to revolutionize the industry. They're trying to cash cow the industry and they're not even always succeeding at doing that. So it's like, you you see where people get frustrated and yeah i i don't think that there's anything wrong with looking at Baldur's Gate 3 and saying just this is the level of effort that i expect from the studios that put games out and the industry needs to i think take note of that instead of giving this massive pushback of well we just can't like no you can um you have to make some culture changes, I think, about the expectations, about what, you know, corporate America's profits are going to be increasing year over year and do whatever it takes to get to that point. Like, that culture has to change. But if gamers as a whole decided, no, we're we're done buying this, like, you know, your profits are going to go down regardless. So you might as well just say, hey, we don't need to set a new record this year. Let's make a reset in the industry and try and put out some good stuff and reestablish our reputation for making good, fun content. Yeah, we talked about that in our Psychonauts episode of them coming out with Psychonauts 2, like obviously under the backing of Kickstarter and then the backing of Microsoft, but it is a gamble on an IP that's pretty old at that point, but that is a passion project that challenges the platforming realm of, of kind of putting you into other people's brains and going through these crazy platforming elements of it. And it was fun. It may not break dollar point records like we're going to see with BG3 or with any of the Call of Duty stuff that comes out that's now just like a paid service. But we need to see more of that. And that's where those, again, indie studios come in. And, and, you know, it's it's such a love-hate relationship knowing that Microsoft scooped up all these studios because you have some games from these studios. Now they're coming out and it's like, great, like, Microsoft didn't do anything. They just helped us out like money wise and they're taking profit versus like Arcane that came out with Redfall, which was worst game of 2023. It is buggy. It is unplayable. It is embarrassing for a studio that has done amazing things like Dishonored. 
that did a whole series of these beautiful games that you can basically just copy over to vampires and couldn't do it. And it's not the fault of devs. It's not the fault of teams that worked on it. It's more to fault. Here's crunch. Here's the timeline we have. Ship it. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, when it becomes about that question of just a mathematical equation, when is the time that it's no longer as profitable for us? There's going to be like a just a, a point where it all meets. And mm-hmm. when does development not increase the profits anymore? That's going to be when we release this game. And you can, you know, kind of calculate all that in with how finished the game is as well. Obviously, you can't release something totally broken. Sure. But, you know, they get to a point to where it's uh, playable, but there's some some things going on with it that make it a very difficult experience or very disappointing experience. And then they just kind of say, yes. hey, well, we're, this is when we needed to release the game to make the most money, so that's what we did. And I think that's where you see where that we... I think... In a lot of the episodes that we talk about, there were games in, in studios in the 90s that people were trying really hard to get the financial backing. And mm-hmm. that was such a big win for them when they were able to do that and just get these people that wanted to invest in these studios. And now I think we've started to see sort of the antithesis of that, where it's these studios are getting bought out and consolidated into other studios. They're just taking certain technologies from game studios that did one thing in their game really well and trying to combine it. And then mm-hmm. looking at it all from a very, I think, rigid corporate point of view. And if you are a believer that video games are an art form, those two things just are destined to be at odds with each other forever. Yes. Not saying that we don't get great, amazing AAA games, because I do think that we do. But I think that a lot of the the games that are industry standards now just don't have that same level of effort in them that we were used to seeing. Even looking at the Call of Duty games, even, I think, you know, when you're getting into World War II games and then they switched over to Modern Warfare, Modern Warfare 2, like that was a really great time for the, mo- for the Call of Duty franchise. Certainly. The mistake that they made was saying, oh, well, this is so successful that we just need to do this. And there were so many games that took that lesson from massive sales and became afraid to change. And I think that now it's been happening long enough to where people are frustrated by it. And I, I guess I just have to ask the question to you, like, there are so many games where people weren't buying those uh, skins and, you know, paying money and getting the battle passes. And, you know, that was like when it was a newer thing and Twitch was still like coming up and becoming a new thing. Like, do you think maybe that was a trend in gaming now that 
it was exciting enough at the time where people were willing to do it. But now when people really start to run the numbers, they're just kind of over it. So I think it's also breaking out of the microcosm that we're talking about. These are people that are pre-informed on gaming that, that kind of have their pulse on it versus people like my younger cousin, who is a League of Legends lifer, plays a lot of other games, but we talked about it uh, when they were in town last year. And he said, oh, I've spent five to $6,000 in League of Legends. That's recently. And so it's the thing of like, I think in our microcosm of being an informed consumer and being smart with your money, yes, I think that's kind of teetered off, especially when it's like, oh, it's just for cosmetics. It's not for anything else. Versus a lot of people out there where, you know, I think if we were younger, I think it would make more sense. Now, granted, you and I did spend a lot of money on like Rock Band. That was to yeah. get songs to use and play. But I mean, we spent probably $100, $200 on, on getting sure. a lot of those songs. And so I think we would have a different opinion now where this is the cultural norm. You have to get the skin for this League of Legends character. You got to get Tracer's British skin. Otherwise, what are you even doing with your life? You're an outcast for being a skinless, terrible player. And... I think, you know, a lot of that transferred over from mobile games. I, I think we can really thank the mobile market for the kind of BS dollar amounts that we're seeing with this stuff where we get a quote unquote free game that we that people then sink thousands into because they feel like, oh, I've only spent $10. Oh, I've only spent one more $10. I've, you know, the battle pass is only 10 bucks a month. And then you add that into a lot of it. Games as a service makes sense when you're like World of Warcraft having these huge servers, allowing this stuff to happen versus like you're paying 10 bucks for the opportunity to get a skill. It's always one of my favorite quotes in like the early jingle all the way is like, like, <laughs> oh, you're giving away the, the, the turbo man here at the radio station. No, no, no. I'm giving away the opportunity to buy a turbo man. And that's how I always see battle passes. Like I'm paying you up front for the opportunity to grind for hundreds of hours to get this final elite skin for my character even though i've already given you money it's just the opportunity to do it right no and the, and that's a really great way i think of looking at it and with games like league of legends i personally i feel like i can forgive that style a little bit more because it's a true service style game sure, it's these like exactly. really console dependent ones as well that there the technology is going to like be gone eventually and yeah. it's still sitting within that same expectation like a five-year plan on call of duty or something like that game then you know whenever they come out with the next one all that money that you spent or whatever is just gone like at least in league of legends it's like a they're not they didn't release like league of legends 2 Exactly. They release expansions and new characters and all that stuff. And, you know, World of Warcraft, same deal. But it's like they're not trying to totally outdate everything that quickly um, mm -hmm. within saying like, hey, this this game is actually going to die. The servers are eventually going to die because we're we're moving everyone over to the new Call of Duty, the new yes. Overwatch. You know, those things are where it becomes a little more difficult i think to justify that service style gaming but that seems to be what everyone wants their game to be as of late well yeah it's it's you don't have to create new like the only assets you have to create that are new are for events which you probably already have a lot of those assets created or like maybe an expansion down the road we talked about uh 
off mic Assassin's Creed Valhalla trying to be a service game. And it's like Assassin's Creed should have never been a service game unless the service is you're going to give me new eras and new characters every time it comes out, which is AKA just a new game. So it doesn't make sense having services like that. Um, I want to dive real quick and talk about kind of that greed or that necessity to be like, hey, we're not going to fund you anymore unless you come out with a game. That's really what plagued, and we talked about this in our episode, plagued Hello Games with No Man's Sky of like Sony being like, that's got to come out now. And it comes out and it didn't live up to like having never running into a player. And then within the first day, two players run into each other and, and having all these things that were promised as just this kind of barren wasteland for them to step up as a development company and say, hey, so sorry, it's my passion project. Here's free updates for like 10 years. So it's, it's one of those things that is super insane to see for like all these updates coming out to No Man's Sky and, and to games in and of that self like those style of games that are, are, are more that passion and less of like, oh, well, for 10 bucks a month, you can get the squishy alien pack. And then if yeah. you play for 30 hours and discover 120 planets, you can discover a squishy alien. You know, it, it, it was never that. It was, let's make this game more of what we promised. Yeah, and, and I think that that's a good example of what I was trying to say at the beginning of the episode, where it's, it's gamers want the effort. They are not expecting mm-hmm. everything to be perfect, but they do expect that effort to at least be there. And I think that if you give that effort, they're succeeding in fixing these problems nine out of 10 times. You know, it's unfortunate that some people don't get the experience that they were promised. But I think that, you know, No Man's Sky, that episode we did on it is like one of our most listened to episodes, if not the most listened to episode. And I think that that is 100% not because of our audience base, but because so many people love No Man's Sky. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, I think, really a testament to what they were able to do with that game and how far that effort really goes with consumers in general. Yeah, so I, I think that's a good point to kind of wrap up on with this. Well, like, why isn't everything Baldur's Gate 3? And it's, I don't, again, it's not the phrasing I think everyone's using. It's more of why, why can't the game that I purchase be the game that I purchase? You know, I, I want the game that I buy I want to use this, this hard-earned money that I have to spend my enjoyment hours enjoying something. And there are plenty of other turn-based tacticals like XCOM, SOCOM, not SOCOM, but <laughs> all the comms. But you're talking about um, all of these tactical RPGs um, that are fantastic and that are not as large and never will be as big as a Baldur's Gate 3, but still allow for this tactical combat in their own way and have built this game for their audience that people really enjoy. And look at any reviews for a lot of these games. They're really high. There may be some, you know, things that are pointed out like any game, but for the most part, like all of these amazing RPGs are there because of the passion within the team. And that's what Larian brought. Larian brought that to Divinity. And Larian has now brought that same love of Divinity to Dungeons and Dragons in Baldur's Gate 3. And so I think it's such a disheartening thing to see devs and artists say, like, well, I can't do this. You know, that's that's not what we want to have happen. It's like, why isn't it? Why can't we celebrate this? Why can't we also celebrate your game? Maybe your game only sold 
5%, of what Baldur's Gate 3 did, which is still fantastic, and celebrate you. And I think there should be more uplifting and celebrating within the people who are developing and creating these games versus the corporations that are just trying to kind of squash that down and say, nah, it's not possible. That's an outlier. They'll never do this again. And I think that it is a little bit of a symptom of industry, um, long-term industry veterans being a little beat up by the process. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's a, a big part of it. And they like engaging with the community, I think, more so than other industries. And, um, you know, it's, it is going to be tough for them, I think, to hear when they do feel like they work really hard on something that things sort of out of their control led to a game being a disappointment for fans when they wanted people to enjoy their game. So I can understand sort of wanting to get ahead of that just to sort of protect yourself, but it's just not realistic. It's a... I think a, a pipe dream that that was going to work on anybody. Yeah, I I, I think a hundred percent this, and I, I think we just need to lift it up and celebrate those games that do well, and understand the downfalls that do come to either a triple A studio, double A indie, whatever happens with that. I think you need to uplift the positives in the gaming industry versus so much of the negative that does come out of it, and celebrate the game. It's a fantastic game. I am loving so much of it. Huge nerd for it, and I'm really enjoying it. And I think it's also reached out to the people who aren't huge fans of, let's say, D and D or these style of RPGs. It offers so much that it's amazing. So I'm excited for it. It's going to come to consoles soon, um, but PC related, it's it's been a fun time. So and let us know, like, do do you agree with that opinion that it should be the benchmark or that like, no, this is an outlier just because they had the time and effort and it was solo focused. Let us know what you think in our socials, hit us up with whatever you got. But yeah, this has been a fun talk about kind of where we're, we're sitting and what we kind of want for the future of our wallet. Absolutely. It's been fun. We'll see you guys next time. Take care. <laughs>